um, I was asked, asked to man the mic, right? But that doesn't mean I always have a word. That doesn't mean I always know exactly what God's saying and how to say it. And, you know, this morning, I just I was just waiting on the Lord. And, and there's times I might have something, but it's not time to say it. And vice versa for some of you in the room. But Stu had a word. So if you have a word from God, all it is is just coming on up and saying, hey, I got a word. So please don't refrain ever. It's not guarding the mic. It's stewarding. Amen. Just wanted to re recall that to mind because it felt like maybe there was a little refrain for some time here. And I was like, man, this ain't the point of this. Don't refrain. It's just order. When we've got five times the people, we'll need a steward, someone stewarding that mic, right? So, amen. All right, well, how do I go into a message like this after an experience like that? We'll find a way. So, yeah, I... I, we're, we're just in a season here talking about some consecration and God just sifting us and preparing us for the future. This is all about the future. Everything God is doing now in your life is about the future. And if we want to take it like the, the farthest step out into the future we can, do you believe that everything God is doing in your life now, when he's convicting you, getting in your business, asking you to repent, asking you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and that he's not leaving you where you've been. He's not leaving you where you are, whether you're in good shoes or bad shoes. He's not leaving you there because he's preparing you for a future day in this life. But, but I don't want to miss the point. Listen, everything God's doing in my life in the here and now is unto me marrying him when he returns like that. I was overwhelmed with worship this morning saying, I'm just going to hear this because this is what it's all about, right? We, we aren't being built into a happy group of people in this life only and that that's our end game is planting a church and being happy together and living good lives. That's not the end game. And please, everyone hear this. This is so important because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if that's your mindset about your life, he says, you're of all people most to be pitied. He says, he says, that's a bummer if you think that way, because he's coming. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, you're going to die and go be with the Lord. That's not the end of the story. He's coming. You will be raised from the dead. You will be given an eternal body, and you will be prepared as a bride to marry Jesus and be completely his, and sorrow and sighing will completely flee away. That's profound. Your faith will be complete on that day. My faith will be complete on that day. So all of my response to Jesus and his word is unto being prepared to be his when he raises me from the dead and my salvation is consummated. We have to think that way. You can say, well, that's kind of super spiritual book of Revelation stuff. You know, talk to me about something else. I can't. I'm accountable. Listen, the church is going to hear more about this in this hour because the end game isn't now. The end game isn't good ministry, nice churches, good people. It's all unto being prepared and fit together as a bride for the Lamb of God. Joseph, come on. Let that hit your heart. Let that get into the fabric of your life and every decision you make. And so this is going to be, this is going to be unashamedly proclaiming the testimony of Jesus. This is what we're being prepared for. It's profound. Yes, to have impact in this age. 
but ultimately to be his and be a worthy reward that he suffered for. The lamb will receive the reward of his suffering. And it's not nice ministries. It's not effective ministries, right? It's the one thing he held against the church of Ephesus was, hey, you have awesome ministry built. Good job. But you've left your first love. You've forgotten what all this is about. I need to call you right back to the beginning. To square one, what is this ultimately all unto? It's under the church being called the wife of the Lamb, coming back to her first love. So we're going to talk about returning to Jesus with an honest heart, truthfulness, and allowing God to remove all religion and tradition from our lives, right? So let's turn to Matthew 23. We'll dive in. And please, if you have your Bible, take a peek at this, because I'm not up here because I asked to be, right? I'm not up here to try to give a good message and hope you clap your hands, right? That's, that'd be, that would be pitiful. <laughs> Paul would say, hey, Joseph, that's, that's a really sorry thing you're doing up there. I was asked to bring this, so I'm just being obedient. And to be honest, I almost didn't really feel like bringing these messages because I kind of feel like the bad guy a little bit. <laughs> All right, we're family. I'm being honest. Let's go to Matthew 23, verse 1 to, 4, uh, 1 to 3. So for Matthew 23, then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. That's me and you. So put yourself in here. And this is what he said. He says, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But... Do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Wow. So Jesus invites his disciples to his class on the religious spirit. And this chapter is Jesus saying, let me tell you in however many verses are here, what the religious spirit looks like. And I'm inviting you in this class, boys, all 12 of you, because this spirit is the spirit of the age, and all flesh is prone to this spirit, even you, boys, all 12 of you. So come take a seat and hear what I have to say. And what's amazing to me is the first thing that Jesus has to say to his disciples to differentiate a religious spirit from a true spirit or an irreligious spirit, a free spirit, isn't charismaticism. He doesn't say, hey, um, here's how you know who's religious and who's not. The ones prophesying and doing miracles are the, are the right ones. They're the irreligious ones. They're the free ones. And the ones who don't believe in the gifts, they're the religious ones. He didn't say that. And he's not saying that at all. We need to get that out of our mind because I don't know about you, but I thought that way for many years. Well, who's prophetic? Who's got the spirit on him? You know, who's got a culture of uh, miracle signs and wonders. And Jesus said, Joseph, you got the whole thing wrong, bud. Read it again. What's the one thing Jesus said will differentiate wheat from tares? The true from the counterfeit. The church that he's building from the church that's building themselves. Obedience to the Bible. Do all that they say, but don't do as they do. For they say the right things, and they don't do them. So he says obedience is the one thing that will set us apart 
improve our life before God, not our gifts. Matthew 7, I ain't reading that one. That one's scary. It's not our gifts. It's not spirituality. It is spirituality, but it's true spirituality. Can I hear what's written and obey it and give my life to it without feeling led by the Spirit? Because that's what Jesus is getting at here. Joseph, you don't need to be led by my Spirit to obey my word. This is the divine authority, and it's written. It's laid out for all to hear and see and understand clearly. Bend your life upon it. So that's what he's saying here in Matthew 23, is obedience. And so we want to become people of obedience, people who have an ear to hear what's written, what's infallible, what isn't partial, what's not, this is not a dim mirror, right? All of our spiritual sight is dim, right? Our, our prophetic gifting is dim, it's partial, right? We can be a little off kilter here and there, and we're growing and learning. Jesus said, this is infallible. This is the rock right here. This is truth. So let's turn to 2 John 3. Uh, yeah, 2 John 3, verses 2 to 4. And we'll just do some line upon line here for the rest of the message. I have more and more trouble as time goes on, not talking about the broader scope and narrowing down. So forgive me. I do, I, I, but, but it's just something he's doing in me, so I'm not going to apologize for it, but I'm going to aim at doing some line on line here. So second, uh, third John, verses 2 to 4. So we're going to go into this issue of what's written, obedience to it. Third letter of John, verse 2 to 4. Beloved, I pray, and some of this was being announced this morning. I pray that you may prosper in every way of life. And that your body would keep well. So he says, I want your circumstances prospering, your businesses, your workplace, your children, stay-at-home moms. He says, I want your whole life walking in prosperity. I want your body healthy even as you keep your soul healthy. And then he explains to us in verse 3 and 4 what it means for our soul to be healthy, for our soul to walk in purity and holiness and righteousness so that we can actually step into spiritual blessing, breakthrough, prosperity, health, he says, I was very glad when brethren came and testified to the sincerity and truth and fidelity of your life. Wow, what a statement. He says, I have no greater joy, the Apostle John, to hear this. He says, I, I hope you got all the gifts. I hope there's breakthrough in your midst, miracles, signs, and wonders. That's awesome. Absolutely have to have it. He says, but what brings me the greatest joy is that people came and testified, these folks do what they hear. They do what they read. They're bending their life to truth with an honest heart and walking in it. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children living their lives in the truth. That's massive. 
and he ties this one issue like Jesus did in Matthew 23 to true spirituality, right? Not religious, knowing everything it says, but protecting myself from it, right? Not hearing what Jesus laid out in Scripture and knowing what it says and believing it's his authoritative word, but just saying, ah, I'm just going to go with the, with the way my life's been. I, I mean, we're all happy. I don't do any bad things. I don't hurt anybody. It's not hurting no one. I'm just going to stay put. I'm comfortable. And Jesus says, no, don't fall prey to that. That's rote. That's religion. It's unbelief. And it's tradition. So he cautions us against it. He says, I want people who can take this for what it is, my word, and bend their life and walk in it. You know, and he's talking to me, Joseph, I don't want you happy in your marriage. Happiness isn't the end of your marriage. I don't want you content. I want your marriage reflecting Christ and his church. And so that means some things have to change. I want your family rooted and grounded and established in the teaching of the apostles so that they can manifest the wisdom of God to the powers of the air and have authority in the land, right? So I have to change. So God's talking to me about my marriage because things have to change because I know what this says, so I'm accountable. And Jesus says, don't hear it and not do it. And definitely don't say it if you're not doing it. He says, Joseph, I, I invited you to the class, Matthew 23. Remember, you took a seat there. Don't say it and not do it. We who, we who teach will be judged more strictly for that reason. Because it, there's always, we're all prone. All flesh is like grass, right? We're all prone to religion and tradition. It's the spirit of the age. And Jesus came to bring his kingdom and truth, a new and living way that transforms lives out of old into new, right? Out of the wisdom of man into the wisdom of God, out of unbelief and disobedience to faith and obedience. That's Paul's mission, to bring about the obedience of faith among all who believe. To bring about the obedience of faith. It's not complete or proved or verified unless I'm bending my life to it. And I'll, I'll go a step further. In true church that Jesus is building, it's got to be seen by you. Now, you don't live with me, right? But, you know, walking in accountability with other leaders, it's got to be known. I'm accountable, right? And, and you're my family too, and I have no problem saying, hey, my marriage is shifting on a right path. But it wasn't on a right path. Right? God has to change some things in me. I've been four or five months, we're seeking counsel to get rooted and grounded in the Bible. Like, forget what spiritual gifts I have. Am I loving her as Christ loves the church? Am I being the husbandman, the bridegroom? Am I reflecting that glory? Right? And is she bending her life to me? Is there this mutual dedication to his design? Or are we going through these? Uh, meetings Wednesday night, hearing not doing, saying not doing, falling prey to Matthew 23. And Jesus is like, oh, God, that pains me. It's like died for you to be renovated, renewed in the spirit of your thinking so you can prove the will of God in Romans 12.1. He says, I didn't die for you to talk about it, not do it, Joseph. I didn't die for you to stay in those shoes. I'm not leaving you where you've been. I'm not leaving you where you are. Where you are. I'm fighting for you. I'm pointing you to the future glory that I died to bring forth in the body of my people.
and it requires the most practical obedience in your life, Joseph. So take heed. Come on, take heed to this. So I am. And we all need to. In different, it's going to look different for all of us. But I'll tell you, you start looking at the Scriptures, and it, whether you feel led to or not, it's the, the Word that will stand on the last day. It'll analyze and judge my life when I stand before Him, and this Word will prove me right or wrong. I'll still be saved, but who says, because I'm up here preaching, I'm not also uh, able to stand before God and suffer loss and be saved yet so as through fire because I never took heed to what he says. I just, I just kind of did the, the prophetic thing my whole life. That was me. I, and, and in the charismatic church, that's a lot of us. And it's not a, a rude comment I'm making. There is a fight of God, I believe, in the charismatic church to return to the authority of what's written to validate, verify, and secure all of our charismaticism and really prove it and cause it to be what it's meant to be because it doesn't justify us. It's not, Jesus isn't going to say, it's Matthew 7, you look, their sense of justification on that day, he says, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? God have mercy, are you kidding me? Joseph, no man is exempt from that. It requires repentance. It requires an honest Matthew 13, good and noble heart that can receive the seed of the word and let it grow rather than choke it out with your own preferences, ideas, pride, insecurity, whatever's going to cause you to not obey it. God forbid that in me. And so there's, there's fear of the Lord on the word of God. It's serious stuff. It's amazing. And we need to let it change our lives. So I believe... This isn't just for us, but this is, this is for years I've been praying this prayer. And I'll be honest, when I pray this prayer, I feel the pain of it. Most times, I literally feel, oh, my soul almost grieve a little, like, do you even know what it means to ask God to do this? And there's times I've just zipped my lips like, God, I want to ask this in truth. I'm like afraid to really ask you to do this in me. But I've asked for a few years, said, Lord, increase the spirit of truth in my life. The spirit of truth, all guile, pretense, dishonesty, lying, get it out of my soul, right? Because we're all good Christians. We don't lie. <laughs> Let them scan your life and you'll find out what lying really is. Because it's not just this. This is what we're, I want to talk about today. It's not just what comes out of my mouth. It's the disposition of my heart in, in the deep places. What's going on there? Is there pretense? Do I pretend to be something I'm not? Because if I am, he says, you're lying. Even if you don't tell a lie, if you live that way, Joseph, that's a lie. That's a lie. I want to I free you from that. God is dealing with all untruthfulness and dishonesty in his church. Guile, hypocrisy. He's dealing with it on a heart level. He's sanctifying his people. He's preparing us to be all we've meant to be. And if we have shadows of religion and tradition, and pretense, if we're mixed on the inside, we're fooling ourselves to think that we will participate in what he's about to do. We'll rob ourselves. We'll sell ourselves short on something so much cheaper than the kingdom of God, something so much cheaper than revival and harvest. So God's dealing with our hearts as we're studying as a community the plan of God. 
He's dealing with our hearts. He's not giving us more information. Guys, you probably all know what it says. I do too. <laughs> I do too. But is my life bending and trending in that position? Is the, tra the trajectory of my life changing at all? Or am I just kind of staying on the same plane, hearing, not doing, knowing what it says, but not bending my life to it? So God's dealing with this. He's going to deal with this in us. He wants an unleavened lump of dough in 1 Corinthians. I think it's chapter 11, right? He wants an unleavened lump of dough. No leaven of the Pharisees in us. He wants the leaven of truth and sincerity. He says, I want you eating the unleavened bread of truth and sincerity. He says, so when you take communion, remember, this has to be done with a good and honest heart. If there's hidden things or dishonest areas, get honest with them. Say, Lord, I'm going to partake of your body. I'm going to eat that bread of truth and sincerity that you displayed and offered to us. I want this stuff out of my heart. Any, any vestige of it, no matter how little or great. So God's shining his light in the word, right? He's ex it exposes. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, This thing searches your whole life and finds you out, but offers you a way out. Religion condemns people where they are, and revelation invites people where they're not. It's grace. It's not law. It's Yeah, religion condemns you and leaves you where you are. Revelation invites you where you're not. You see that? It's invitation. Out of that, out of old into new, right? Out of my way into his way. His way. So I got to change because he's faithful and true. He's unchanging. <laughs> he's flawless. And so if he's not changing, someone's got to. Right? So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, I, I know for years I read those passages and I'd be like, just kind of, oh God, like he sees everything? Oh no, yikes. Let me be like Adam. Let me go hide among the trees of the garden and sow fig leaves together and protect myself from, I mean, if he sees everything, oh my goodness. And I think many believers are stuck there and not being transformed. And they don't want to be where they are, but they don't know anything else that Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, it's the light of love shining on them. This, is two, this was last week or the week before what came forth here. And we didn't even really share because he was preparing us. It's the light of love. God is love. In him, there's no shadow of turning. There's no darkness in him. He's holy, but he's not angry but he's holy and he's not indifferent to you and he's not disinterested into you. He's holy and he's love and he desires you and he delights in you and your weakness and he's willing to get as close as you want to get. That's what Hebrews 4 is about because he ends the chapter saying, hey, God is light and he's holy and he sees everything about your life. Therefore, because righteous blood was shed, Get as close as you can to him because he's perfect love. Get changed. Change it up. <laughs> change your shoes. Change your clothes. Change your socks. I got polka dot socks on. I ain't changing them. That's what Hebrews 4.12 is. It's, it's a revelation of Jesus as the light of the world 
beckoning his people to come before the throne of grace because of his bloodshed and find grace to help them in their time of need. It's love beckoning us. It's a it's revelation. It's like, get over here. Let me talk to you. I'm not angry at you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of you and your worst sin. Come on. You'll never be changed if you don't come on. You'll never change. You'll remain the same. That's, re that's what religion does. It keeps you where you are. Jesus said it in Matthew 23. He says, the Pharisees leave people where they are. They don't let them enter the kingdom. They just leave them in law, head knowledge, uh, condemnation, guilt, at a distance. And Jesus says, not so with me. Read Hebrews 4, not so with me. Come on home. Uh, Luke 15, come on home, son. Get over here. Pig crap, right? Alcohol on your breath, right? Sexual immorality, drunkenness, come on home. Come on home. If you don't come home, you remain the same. Let's go. Let's go. One of my favorite things in Luke 15, religious spirit would tell the prodigal son this. He'd say, the father would just stay at a distance home. He'd get on a microphone so the son could hear it in the far country. He'd say, hey, son, stop sinning. Cut it out. Stop. Stop that. Bad boy. Don't do that. Don't sin. You're my son. Stop sinning. You're, you're representing me wrong. Don't you know who I am? Stop. That's a religious spirit. It tells him to stop, but leaves him where he is. The father says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring a revelation that will destroy religion and fear in his life, all of his misunderstanding of me. I'm not afraid of none of his sin, nothing. He says, hey, get home and let me talk to you. <laughs> let me tell you something you don't know, obviously. Or you wouldn't be living that way. Let me break you free from religion, fear, misunderstanding, and set you free so you never go back there. The total different spirit. And I think we're so guilty in the church of saying, don't sin. Repent. Well, okay. Give them grounds to repent first. Tell them to stare at God. Luke 15 set me free. you got to stare at God for years. It took me years to get free from my sin, my shame and guilt. I lived as a Christian with guilt and shame besetting my life. I felt unclean, though I wasn't living that way, and eventually I lived that way for a season. Because as a man thinks within himself, so he is. I needed my spirit of my mind transformed, renewed. I needed to come home, or I, I have no hope unless I go home. Unless I go let him put me in his bosom and kiss me. That's serious stuff, guys. We've got to stay home. Yes, repent. But see what repentance, repentance is coming home to God. It's not stopping sinning and staying way out there. That's a religious spirit. It's a lie. God isn't satisfied with you stopping sinning. Merely. He says, if you don't come home, you're going to go back there. It's not sufficient. Yeah, do everything you can to stop. But come home and stay home, and I'll change it all from the inside out. I'll clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean. It's all Matthew 23. God is exposing religion. I think in the charismatic church, there's so much of it. And it's quenching what we do have. We've got this deposit, and God's like, 
you're, you're content having meetings around this little campfire, and if you'll let me deal with you on this level, and you return here, and you come home and stay here in both obedience and let your life be changed, he says, I'm going to turn that campfire into a raging forest fire that will consume all of your adversaries and attract a bored generation in the church and outside the church, right? Sorry if I'm off track here. So um, let's go. We'll end with James chapter 1. This has been so loud, James chapter 1. My goodness. We'll start in verse, um, if any of this remotely is moving you to think again and just put yourself before God and just let him call you higher and deeper. Let him sift you. Let him sift you. Just get real. It's okay. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to hide anything. And it's not like it's, maybe it's not this major thing, but it doesn't matter he wants life change in us from the inside out. So James chapter 1, verse 19. Here's his instructions to the church. He says, Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger, and the Greek word for anger is desire or passion. And we could say the ability, the strength of a man. He says, the ability of a man cannot achieve the righteousness of God. So let's just, let's hear that first. He says, you can't do any of this in your own strength. It won't get you to righteousness. But if you develop a quick listening ear, right, that's going to get you somewhere. Quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. He says, therefore, putting aside all, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not reading from Amplified. Here we go, Amplified. So get rid of all uncleanness and any outgrowth of wickedness and in a humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your soul. Soul salvation. It's called sanctification. He says, if you can humbly accept what's written, he says, your soul can be transformed. You can be set free from just hearing it, knowing it, and not doing it. So here's verse 22. Be doers of that word. That's obedience. The same thing Jesus talked about in Matthew 23. Be doers of the word. Don't just hear it. He says, obey the message. And not merely listeners. Betraying yourselves. Man, that's serious. Betraying myself into deception by reasoning that's contrary to the truth. He says, if you know something that's true and right before God, he says, 
bend your life to it, obey it, walk in it, implement it into your life. Otherwise, Joseph, you're going to betray yourself, meaning you sell yourself short of all he has for you. And you remain in this netherworld of Christianity that's not his, and it's not what he's doing. He says, hear my word. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it and being a doer of it, he is like a man who looks carefully at his own natural face in a mirror, for he thoughtfully observes himself and then goes off and promptly forgets what he looks like. Here's what that means. James is saying, as you take the divine authority of Scripture into your lives, church, as you take this and you peer into this law of liberty, the perfect law, he says, this isn't legalism, this is the law of liberty, the law of life. He says, as you look into it and it starts talking to you, bend your life to it, obey it, he says, otherwise, if you see things in your life that need to come into obedience of the faith and you don't, he says, you're selling yourself short. You're, you're selling yourself short. You're robbing yourself. You're betraying yourself. That's serious. So as we're hearing the Lord speak to us and call our lives, our families, our marriages higher, deeper in this, we need to be responsive. There's so much grace right now for real transformation. And there, there always is. But then there's moments in churches and spiritual families where God's just doing something rapidly and he wants to accelerate and bring something forth quickly and speedily by a greater grace, right? I feel that. I'm, I'm experiencing it. I see it. Let's not hear all this and be the same people we are today, next year, this day. Next Halloween, let's be different men and women. Because otherwise, James would say, you've betrayed yourselves. And, he, and he'd never apologize because it's love speaking here. It's love saying, wow. You guys went through all that as a spiritual family? That's amazing. Like, the majority of you were in groups on Wednesday night going deep for, what, a year, two years? And you're the same people. He's like, read James 1. Read my book. <laughs> read my epistle. Something's, wrong. Something's off here. And, and hear that. Guys, we can't do that. Like, forbid it, Lord. We want more. What, what we want is... We want to bend to this and prosper and find breakthrough, spirit, soul, body, culture, community. What if next year, this day, because we became doers of the word, not just spiritually gifted, but obedient to the faith of Christ, a community that's trending in obedience, just forging territory by their lifestyles so that when they pray, they have authority. When they speak, they have authority. And when they're around the lost, with no words, the lost's conscience knows something's different and I got to have it. And they might feel convicted and uncomfortable because of the righteousness we're demonstrating, but they feel invited close because of love. Therefore, speak truth in love. Don't love people at the expense of truth and don't speak truth without love. They've got to be married. But what if we did this? I'm, I'm serious. Think about it. What if we did this and in 365 days, 
Something has shifted all around us, in us, and through us. What? Listen, this is going to tip us into something. Kingdom. Joseph, it, this is what's going to tip you. You don't need more prophecy. You don't need more 1 Corinthians 12. You need Ephesians 5, boy. Ephesians 5 and 6. He says, come on, take me up on this. Shabbat. All right. So verse 25, he who looks carefully into this, the faultless law, the law of liberty, right? We could read this thing. It could be all rote and law and feel like, ugh, I don't want to do all this. That's boring. You know, I'm going to the revival meeting down the road. And God says, you want real revival? <laughs> don't go down the road. Stay here. <laughs> Stay here. He who looks carefully into this law of liberty, the Bible, and is faithful to it and perseveres in looking into it. Is that not what this community is doing together the last, how long has it been? A year? We are being faithful to the word of God together? I feel, I feel God commending us in this. Right now as I speak, I feel like, wow, we are doing this, being faithful to the word and persevering and looking into it. He says, if you do that, being not a heedless listener who forgets, but an active, active doer who obeys, you will be blessed in your life of obedience. Do we want that kind of blessing? Where God says, oh man, I got so much more than 1 Corinthians 12 for you. I got so much more than spiritual gifts and anointing. I've got harvest, souls, demonstration of kingdom authority and power in, in this region where we break something open, off people, deliverance, captives being set free, and entering the same rite of passage that I have, the bending of my life on the word of God, getting stable and solid for the future. Amen? Amen. I want to leave two things before next week. So the two predominant things in the Scripture that we would see that really uphold this religious spirit in us. I'm not pointing to the religious. I'm pointing to me right now. And please, please let the Lord talk to you in this season. we got to go further and higher. It's time. We're going there. We're aiming at it. So the two things that kind of keep this thing alive, insecurity is one extreme, and pride is the other. So insecurity would say, Ugh, I know my marriage isn't exactly in order, but I don't want to admit it. Like, what are people going to think of me? And oh, I don't want to be found out because what if I get in trouble or people think differently of me or judge me or I don't know what's on the other side of me admitting that some things are out of order in my life. Yikes. It's Adam. And so he went and hid and covered himself. He hid from the light of the truth and he hid in a tree under shade. I mean, it's darkness and light reality. We don't want to do that. Listen, this is a family of love. God is a God of love, but he speaks truth. He's a God of truth, and they're perfect in him. And so while he's loving you, he's being truthful with you, with a smile. <laughs> so don't let insecurity rob you in this season from being honest and coming into order with the word of God and finding real authority in your life and marriage and family. The second one is pride. Right? So insecurity is fig leaves and hiding. Pride 
is self-righteousness and unrepentance. It's the opposite extreme, same spirit. Pride is, oh, no, I don't need to change. My wife's fine. She can handle it. I'll handle her. We're okay. And we'll go to church. And I mean, I feel the anointing, and I've got spiritual gifts, and you know, we get along with everyone. We're not bad people. It's no biggie. No biggie. I know what this says. That's self-righteousness and pride. Both extremes are error. And so we need to find this, this middle ground, which James calls humility, obedience, receiving the word with meekness. Jesus says, hey, if you, if you receive the word with meekness, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, he says, if you get a good and honest and noble heart inside yourself through time and process with Holy Spirit, you get your heart right, this word can grow in you and change your whole life. And you'll become wheat. There'll be no tares in you. You'll become wheat. That's the harvest he's after. Wheat. People who can receive the word, the teaching of the kingdom of God, of the apostles. It's, it's right there. Amen. That's all I have to say. We're all in this together. Come on. Amen. I don't have anything else. Okay. You're, be you're better great. at this than I am. Nope. <laughs> Give a big altar call. Everyone come running forward because you're right. <laughs>